similar to crypto, you know, similar to drones, you know, UAVs, you know, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles is the wave of the future. So if you're looking for a place to invest, a place to put your money, you're looking for some some future technology to where you can start 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 with electric vehicles, start with drones, start with cryptocurrency. You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And you're listening to and or watching the Snob OS show, the show for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. We definitely want to thank you back for another show. I think this is episode 124 where we are moving right along. And like I said, we want to get right into the show. So we're going to start with the lowdown where we talk all things Apple. So we got a lot of stuff on the show. So we're going to get right into it. First and foremost, last week, Apple released iOS 14.5. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week. Mm-hmm. Talked about all the nice features where it be to unlock your um, iPhone using your Apple Watch. If you've got all the latest updates, you know, we talked about a couple other things. We talked about air tags being available, you know, that need iOS 14.5 in order to utilize um, air tags. Well, that was last Tuesday. Well, this week they have announced another update, iOS 14.5.1. In addition to iOS 14.5.1, there's Mac OS 11.3.1 and there's watch OS 7.4.1. And the reason why we are stressing that you update to 14.5.1 even after you probably just updated to (laughs) 14.5 because this is a security issue. Uh, Specifically, this update is meant to fix arbitrary code execution exploits present in WebKit that lets malicious websites run unchecked code on your device. You know, of course, little old me, they're not running code on my device. Well, just go ahead and update and you ain't got to worry about it, right? (laughs) It's super quick. It's super easy. And if you don't have it already on your phone, just go ahead and turn on the automatically, you know, update your phone. Just make sure you keep, you know, you do your backups regularly and you'll be fine because most of my devices updated by themselves. And I came back with, you know, the latest updates without really too much intervention by me. Right. And, you know, when those updates take place, you want to make sure your devices are charged or charging mm-hmm. uh, and they are connected to Wi-Fi. So and they will do that automatic update overnight. So, again, like I mentioned, I know you probably already just updated the 14.5. So go ahead and update it one more time just to make sure your Apple devices are safe to where you nobody's actually executing anything on your devices on your behalf. Exactly. All right. All right. Next up, uh, air tags can't be added for family sharing. So this was interesting, right? So I was doing, of course I got air tags or, or air tag. Let me say it correctly. I got a pack of four air tag and I actually set it up, you know, just one, just to test it. And also I'm doing a story in PC Magazine for things you need to know about AirTags. And one of the things I found out was doing my research is 
even if you have enabled family location sharing and family sharing. So what that means is if, if me and Nika were in a family, she could enable family sharing and share her location with me, of course, through her iPhone, through her Mac, whatever she has on her person. If she does that location sharing, I will be able to pl- open up, find my click on Nika's device friends and I'll be able to see Nika's location. Right. Even though she may have that turned on to where me and her can share that information, you can't enable AirTag to be shared with a family member. And the question would, my question was, why would I want to do that when I already know her location because she's enabled it? Why, why would I want to enable an AirTag that I have connected to my keys to be shared with Nika? And some of the people came up with the um, example let's just say me and Nika share cars, right? She takes her car to work. She loses her keys at work, right? Maybe, you know, I need the keys for whatever reason. She needs to share the AirTag location with me because for whatever reason, she can't get to the area to where her keys are, but I can. So mm-hmm. she needs to share the location of that air tag with me. So then I can then go find that key or whatever. Well, the way air tag is set up because Apple again, is so heavy on privacy, you know, um, they don't allow you to add your air tag to family sharing. So you can share the location of that device. And I, my guess is the reason why they do that is because, you know, you don't want people unknowingly being tracked. And technically if you share, um, an air tag location. If you could share air tag location with somebody, you could track them with unknowingly. Um, you mm. know, but and somebody th- trying to catch somebody, I think they probably <laughs> put this in there on purpose. Yeah, somebody <laughs> trying to catch somebody creeping, right? Or stalk somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can see where that would, I could see why they would do that. And again, like you said, when you, when you, enable family sharing to share your location with me, you're making that effort. So therefore you know that you're sharing your location is being shared with me, right? Mm -hmm. With an air tag, you know, I guess with an air tag, the thing is you, you, there may be some times where you're not, where you don't want to. So therefore, but even if you don't want to, I still know where you're, if I know where your device is or your bag or whatever you've tagged, connected the air tag too, then I kind of indirectly know where your location is. So I thought that was interesting. The fact that even though you can share your location with me via the find my app and you use the find my app to share air tag locations, I can't share an air tag location with anybody else. One, because it's registered to my Apple ID and two, Again, with the whole privacy thing, I don't think Apple wants to wade into those waters of those scenarios to where somebody was unknowingly tracked via an air tag, right? Right. And I think this may be a future feature that they add, but mm-hmm. I think what they're probably doing in the meantime is making sure that their security standards are still followed if they go with this family option, mm-hmm. meaning they may give the person the the option to, you know, only share at certain times or, you know, share in certain locations or certain instances. I think that's probably the reason why we don't have it now, but I'm pretty sure 
that's coming down the pipeline. With some with some, you know, restrictions, with some limitations. Like I right. could see if you're if you if I could understand shit doing an air tag sharing with somebody if you have a dog walker and mm-hmm. you use the air tag to connect it to your pet dog or cat. Mm-hmm. Let's say dog for example. And then the dog walker takes the dog for a walk, they lose the dog. The dog. Then mm-hmm. I can share the air tag location with them so then they mm-hmm. can kind of locate the dog because you would assume they're in that same area. So I can right. see it definitely being something that they could do or add or include, but with some limitations. Uh, but for now they're like, uh, no, <laughs> not right now. but I definitely see that coming down the pipeline with some additional security added to it and different restriction options right. that they probably just hadn't, didn't have time to build into the UI. Right. All right. All right. So moving on, uh, Apple and Epic, you know, the makers of Fortnite finally go to court. Uh, their trial started this week on Monday uh, between Apple and Epic Games. Uh, for those who don't remember, um, the Epic is the company that makes Fortnite. Uh, they don't like Apple taking all of their percentages. They don't like Apple telling them what to do as far as the app store. So Apple, uh, so Epic has, you know, kicked up a lot of dust, uh, saying, you know, uh, Apple is, uh, anti their, you know, uh, a monopoly as the way they control their app store. So they've taken it all the way to federal civil court in Oakland, California. Again, the only way app developers can reach uh, Apple's 1.5 billion iPhone or iPad users is through the Apple App Store. Of course, if Epic or for, uh, the makers of Fortnite get their way, you know, um, Apple will have no choice or will be required to offer additional ways, whether that be to offer Google Play Store on their devices or, you know, some other third party. Uh, they will definitely have lose less control over the percentage in which they take as far as commissions from app store purchases and revenue. So that could kind of change the game for Apple. Of course, if Apple gets their way, then, you know, according to Apple, based on, you know, keeping users safe and um, uh, in, in addition to controlling the ecosystem, you know, to provide the the same to provide the features that Apple users are expected or come expected when they use an iPhone or an iPad, you know, they want to keep control over that, <laughs> over that control, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, for the sake of, like I mentioned, uh, keeping, keeping control over the access uh, ecosystem and keeping control over that money because 30%, you know, is a lot to, but when you consider how much money developers have made, you know, 30% may be trivial again, Epic, doesn't think so. So like I mentioned, uh, they have started going to court, uh, this week. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the stories that come out of this trial. It'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, ultimately, of course, it'd be interesting to see what the court or the judge decides, you know, because this is a pretty landmark case because yeah. again, depending on which way it goes, you know, this could be a major shakeup in how, you know, uh, Google, for example, you know, yeah, it's not just it just doesn't have implications for mm-hmm. Apple, but it has implications for all the other tech giants. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're all watching this very closely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, like I said, I just want to do a heads up to that to see where it goes, because, like I said, you know, all the blogs and all the techno technological journalists and everybody, they're paying close attention to that because there will be a lot of stories that come out of that. And I'm pretty sure we'll be 
you know, through the course of this um, story in this case, we'll probably be talking about different things. I saw some stuff already, you know, but I was like, well, I don't have enough information on that, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we'll bring that up, you know, bring up some stories that come out of this case, you know, on weeks to come from at this particular podcast. But I, I have to honestly say that um, I think Apple either way has a contingency for this. Mm-hmm. So if they lose this case, I'm pretty sure that the legal over at Apple has figured out a way that they can make whomever pay for this mm-hmm. if it doesn't come out in their favor. So um on the broad spectrum, if they lose this case, I can see how that ripple would affect, you know, through all of the tech companies into the whole tech space um, specifically. But I think that Apple probably already has a backdoor, so to speak, or some contingencies to to not have to fully follow whatever, you know, the ruling is. But oh, I honestly, I don't know if this is if this is just a big show for Epic, um, because I just don't see, I don't see how it, you know, is necessarily a monopoly when you can still access the game. And not just that, you know, and not just that, you know, again, you know, we're Apple snobs. So we're, of course we're biased, right. But from a practicality standpoint, you don't have to use an iPhone, you know, you can use an Android, you know, you can use, you know, there's different other platforms outside of Android. You know, you don't need an iPhone in order to con- to play it, this game. Right. Right. Like you mentioned, you don't need an iPhone to play this game. You know, you can use an Android. You can use a computer. You can use a PlayStation, a Xbox. You know, you can use all these other methods. So I think that's one of Apple's, you know, hard, fast standpoints. If you use an iPhone, you know, you have to use Apple. Right. If it was the only store. available for iPhone and right. nothing else, then you you'd have a case, right? Which makes because go, go there's still other ways to access the game. Mm-hmm. Then it's it's not a monopoly. Right, a monopoly means one person owns it, one person controls it, and no one else can get a foot in. Right, and that's just not the case. You have no options, right? Right. But at the same time, you know, to, you know, to uh, as a counter, you know. Um, there is no other app store on an iPhone. So that does, you could paint it as you're taking away options for iPhone users who want another way to get apps on their phone. And if the only way I can do it, then you could paint that as a, you know, a monopoly in sorts. But again, like you say, go back, you know, we're not talking about, um, the only way to get apps on an iPhone is through an app store. We're talking about the only way to get Fortnite <laughs> yeah. on an iPhone. So that's kind of a different, you know, different animal. And they're talking altogether. specifically about their game, but mm-hmm. I think the broader implications are, you know, Apple, as we've mentioned many times before on this show, they have such tight control over their ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it seems at face value is that, you know, if Epic wins this case, it'll kind of be like a free-for-all where people can pretty much put whatever app in the app store without any type of oversight to Mm -hmm. ensure that it's valid, ensure that it's safe, ensure that it's not stealing anybody's information, that it's no fraud involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be 
what saves them in addition to the fact that you can download it to, to other um, applications as well. Right. Plus, we also have to take into consideration the political climate because the current U.S. government is all wrapped up in this, you know, fight, you know, against, quote unquote, big tech, mm -hmm. even though they all use it every day, all day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, you know, the way we do business now. So it'll be very interesting to see how it all fleshes out with all of these different competing um, thoughts and processes and different types of you know, special interests, whether it be from the private sector, whether it be from the public sector. So either way, the outcome of this is going to be significant, whichever way it, it falls. Yep. All right. All right. So that is all we have for the lowdown. Let's move into second string where we talk all things tech. And like I said, we got a lot of stuff to talk about here as well. So let's get right into it. Um <laughs> Bless their heart. Uh, Facebook is back into our show. And uh, I wanted to ask, have you started to see some of those um, pop ups to where apps uh, when you open an app, it says, OK, well, uh, due to privacy concerns, I forget the actual let me you know, what? let me actually pull up an actual because I screenshotted one that mm -hmm. I saw. It says allow app to track your activity across Companies, apps, and websites, your app data will be used to deliver personalized promos and offers to you. And then your options are to ask app not to track or to allow the app to track your activity across companies, apps, and websites. So I did like a, a, a basic poll like on Facebook and asked, you know, is anybody starting to see these? Um, pop-ups and are you allowing apps to track you or are you clicking, you know, ask not to deny 100% people like I'm blocking, 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 blocking. So, uh, you know, I'm of that same. <laughs> I am seeing it a lot. Often I, um, I use Drizzly today because mm -hmm. I didn't want to go out and I needed some tequila for my Cinco de Mayo festivities okay. since I wasn't going out like I normally do. All right. And it was the first time I'd opened the app in a while. And sure enough, when I open it, it popped up and I'm de I'm denying everybody. <laughs> so off, rip, off GP, deny, deny, deny. Right. So based on my very informal, informal, low numbers, non-statistical in any way, <laughs> poll, I can pretty much see how Facebook is kind of shook because when you get a notification pop up like that, it almost puts people on the defensive, regardless of the reason why it's probably a good idea to track you across apps and websites. The track <laughs> it probably puts people on defensive like, to where they say, what you looking at? right. <laughs> and block because I don't want you mind your business. Right. Stay so, my business. right. So, you know, that jarring type of statement, Facebook has decided that they're going to, when the, when the, when the message pops up on, when you open up Facebook or finally, when it gets to, you know, you seeing that message on Facebook, Facebook has resorted to showing their own screen going in depth. And explaining all of these changes and all of the reasons why they think it's a good idea. And in one of the bullet points, one of the, um, the reasons why it, it suggests that without access to your data, Facebook may have to charge users to provide services. 
So basically what Facebook is doing is like, all right, if you click this block, you may have to pay for Facebook. Is that what you really want to do? So they're they're they've resorted to to begging. They were they they they're resorting to begging people in order to get access to your data. So I just wanted right. to, and they're not going to charge nobody, right? It's just I think it's just a scare tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people might fall for it, but I think the bulk of people won't because how long has Facebook been around right. and it's been free all that time. Right. And you know, Personally, people are invested in Facebook, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're invested enough to put their money into it. Maybe right. businesses. Yes. But you know, consumers and businesses uh, are putting their money in Facebook via Facebook ads. I mean, that's yeah. the first thing. That's the first place e-commerce Online sellers, you know, whether you're selling a product, whether you're selling a course, whether you're selling whatever the case may be, the first place to go is Facebook ads to open, take an ad out because there are billions of people on Facebook, you know, so businesses are already investing their money in it. The problem with Facebook, in my opinion, is they should have been charging to utilize Facebook or utilize Facebook different services like Facebook groups or Facebook messenger or Facebook photos, you know, mm-hmm. so those are some tools to where they could have charged like a dollar a month, a month or $12 a year or $10 a year. Save you, save you $2. If had they introduced these fees five, before, eight years ago. Right. And then if they put this message on here that, you know, help keep Facebook, you know, low, under cheap, a dollar right. or cheap, or whatever, then they may, you know, have had a fighting chance with this whole strategy. But because it's been free so long, people are like, nah, it's not that serious. And the fact that the amount of people who are moving away from Facebook, I mean, I think they would, you know, kind of sell themselves out of their their market share. Because basically, you know, just based on my like I said, non-statistical <laughs> poll, there are some people would be who, if it came to, if they're willing to not allow Facebook to trap them, track them across apps and websites, there could be a case of where millions and millions and millions of people would be like, yeah, you want to charge me for Facebook? Nah, I'm just not going to use Facebook anymore. And they're willing to give up all of the freedoms, quote unquote, that Facebook gives us all the the features rather that Facebook gives us because there are a lot of people who are completely dependent on Facebook. But if you have to charge them for it, then they may not be so as dependent as Facebook likes to think. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, to bring this back to the actual story, you know, uh, Facebook threatening, quote unquote, threatening people uh, with give us your data or we're going to have to charge you to use Facebook. That may that bluff (laughs) may not work out in their favor. (laughs) <laughs> and I think their bluff has already shown to fail when they did the ads in the newspapers uh-huh. about, you know, we're really here for the small businesses. Uh-huh. They should have taken a cue from that to see that people were not moved. Right. To instead of this whole thing. I don't I haven't seen this on my Facebook yet. I don't believe. No, I haven't yet either. Uh, probably because I went through the process. I don't know if I had it as a hookup or not. But I actually went through the process to remove myself from all of Facebook's ad tracking. You know, there's like a. Oh, bun- I did that, too. Maybe that's why I haven't. Yeah, seen there's it. a bunch of little bitty steps. You got to click this and click that and then click mm-hmm. this and click that. So I think for the people who have not went through that, through that, maybe they're getting that pop up for one button 
stops it versus, you know, being a tech savvy person going through all the Facebook settings and they make it confusing on purpose on purpose <laughs> for you not to do it, you know, but for, for those who haven't done it, then now they're getting that one button. Yes or no. Right. All right. All right. So moving on to the next story, we kind of talked about this in our pre-show uh, for those who are not a part of the Patreon, definitely subscribe to our Patreon so you can get, get access it. to the extra exclusive content. Uh, like I mentioned, we talked about cryptocurrency in our uh, pre-show and uh, this story came up that Sotheby's, the auction house, uh, is accepting cryptocurrency for a Banksy uh, auction. Banksy's love is in the air. Physical painting is an estimate. Of course, it's for Banksy. Of course, of course it course. is. You know, the popular people, the young kids, people that the kids know, right? Uh, is a uh, love is in the air is a physical painting and it's estimated to go for over anywhere between three million and five million dollars. Uh, if you're interested in buying it and you're one of these crypto kids, uh, buyers, right? <laughs> buyers will have the option to either use Bitcoin or Ethereum for payment. Uh, the auction house is partnered with cryptocurrency ex- exchange Coinbase uh, for the sale. Uh, Coinboy, Coinbase said in a blog post that it would help manage price fluctuations during the auction in New York next week. So all that to say, you know, if you are uh, if you balling like that <laughs> with you got it. right with Bitcoin or Ethereum and you're looking for some artwork to increase your wealth. Um, we mentioned that, you know, cryptocurrency uh, values are heavily fluctuating. So by the time you get into this auction to the time that the auction ending, the value of your Bitcoin may change. So that's why Coinbase, who recently IPO'd, I want to say two or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, they are basically a, a cryptocurrency. I want to say wallet because it's not a true wallet. It's just a marketplace. Better, better word is a marketplace where you can buy uh, and sell and trade most of the cryptocurrency on the market. So they're going to partner with uh, Sotheby's. But the reason why I want to put this up, because it is interesting, because like we mentioned in the pre-show, more you don't see it very often. It is kind of still kind of complicated to go through the whole cryptocurrency process. But entities like Sotheby's normalizing cryptocurrency transactions could mean a lot to the future of cryptocurrency. So I just definitely wanted... Sotheby's is like the biggest mm-hmm. auction house in the world. Yep. yep. So and if... people go there to spend millions of dollars right. on very fancy high end things. Right. So if they're willing to use cryptocurrency to spend millions of dollars, then, you know, that could lead lend some, you know, some um, credibility. Credit. Yeah, That's exactly what I'm looking for. Credibility to cryptocurrency to where even more places like we've mentioned uh, Tesla offers crypto, you know, buy and sell things with cryptocurrency. Some major, uh, if you want to buy, uh, NFTs, uh, if you want to buy digital products, you know, most of those transactions are via cryptocurrency. So sooner or later, we're going to be telling more and sharing more and more stories of more and more companies, businesses, merchants, what have you, accepting cryptocurrency to where eventually it's going to become you know, just as valuable as practical, rather, as actual a dollar, you know, cold hard cash. So I just, yeah, I just want to put that out there because, like I said, if Sotheby's is doing it, I'm pretty sure other businesses are kind of turning in the, you know, in the ideas of how they can offer this to users. Okay. Yep. All right. So moving on, 
uh, Twitter, uh, their clubhouse competitor spaces opens up to anyone with 600, uh, with a minimum of, uh, 600 followers. So I thought this was interesting because clubhouse, you know, they're, I think they're still on there. You got to know somebody to know somebody to know somebody, right, right. To get in, uh, Twitter, they're trying to compete against, um, clubhouse and their spaces, uh, uh, spaces app, you know, not only are they just, uh, opening up to anyone with 600 followers, but something they're also doing that I didn't put in the notes is they're giving you the ability to charge for, (laughs) to charge for spaces. So that's something I don't think, uh, clubhouse has the functionality to do yet. So I guess the question I wanted to ask, they do have, they do in very, limited i, I want to say i remember seeing something where you can pay people but i think it's in very limited spaces right right so you know all that to say you know clubhouse has owned the space for you know better part of a year but they are very limited in what you can and can't do on clubhouse versus twitter spaces you know lower barrier of entry and they're more enticing you know i'll i'll uh and it's 600 you have to have 600 K following to get the payment to get the payment. You got to have 600,000, right? Mm-hmm. But to get on, I'm sorry, 60,000, 60,000. Okay. But just to, just to uh, get on to spaces, you have at least 600 followers. And in addition to that, since it's built into Twitter, right? Because you think of, I haven't used Twitter, but basically clubhouse is like voice, right? Mm-hmm. You have these spaces where people talk, you can moderate, you can, raise questions, this whole conversation keep, keep thing. People out of it, you right. know, all right. that stuff. But yeah. with spaces, since it's connected to Twitter, um, and I'll just read this quote from the story, you can enter as a listener to react with emoji, say, see pinned tweets, message folks, along, follow along with captions, or request to speak. You know, join as a speaker, you can talk, you can pin tweets, you can turn on captions, and you can share space with others. I'm not a and clubhouse... I- I've I've done Twitter spaces. I've been a couple of spaces mm-hmm. and it's easy to, you know, request to speak. And I have on a couple and you can kind of like swipe down to like minimize it and still scroll your Twitter feed. Right. So you could still get to see your Twitter feed and be engaged to whatever level you feel comfortable with on on the Twitter spaces. And you don't have that function with Clubhouse. And that, that was leading me to my point. Um, are some of these competitors to, to Clubhouse eventually going to eclipse Clubhouse if they can offer more features like pinning tweets, messaging people on the platform, you know, using Twitter's broader functionality within the spaces? You know, what does this mean for Clubhouse? You know, even though they were the first, but they, you know, the the barrier entry is lower for our competitors and you can do more things. And the fact that it was kind of like a whole exclusive club invite, it still is like invite only that Mm -hmm. I'm sure kind of throws some people off as well as like, oh, you have to be a certain type of person to get into Clubhouse. Whereas anybody with a Twitter account, Mm -hmm. um, I know I think I've had spaces for quite a while now, you know, they pushed out to different users, but now pretty much anybody on Twitter can have access to spaces and access to host spaces, right? Which is appears to be a much easier process than 
with Clubhouse. And it's not just uh, limited to iOS users. I think Spaces, you know, quote me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure if you got an Android as well. Yep. You can utilize Twitter. Uh-huh. Yep. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what Clubhouse does to remain on top, because like I mentioned, they are the first. So, you know, with the first comes a lot of cachet. You know, there is still something to be said with exclusivity, you know, that drives up the demand more when less mm-hmm. people can get on. There's, there's still something to be said about that. But for how long? Right. So it'll be interesting. Especially with what Facebook coming out with their own version. Right. And you know, LinkedIn, they're coming with something similar Mm -hmm. because they have stories now. And it seems to make more sense on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is more business oriented in theory. I think you can have like (laughs) meeting, you know, meeting greets with people who you're interested in hiring or connecting with. Right. Right. I think that probably has a better use case than just, you know, what it's used for. Um, you know, on Twitter. Right. Right. Yep. All right. All right. So moving on, uh, a, a company Skydio, uh, shipping enterprise jo- drones at ten thousand, eleven thousand dollars a piece. Now that sounds like a lot, but if you recognize what Skydio, what their, um, targeted audience is, uh, they have law enforcement, military, first responder versions in addition to their enterprise drones. Reason why that's important is because Skydio switched from consumer to enterprise after U.S. had that big issue with Chinese companies. The most popular Chinese drone company out there is DJI. DJI owns the drone space as far as consumers concerned. If I go to Best Buy or go to Amazon or go anywhere to look for a drone, that's all you're going to see is DJI. You're, all you're going to see is DJI. But the problem with DJI is, especially for governments, enterprise, military, first responder, it's U.S. Based, yeah. it, right, right. It's Chinese based. And, you know, United States, China, they have this weird relationship. Yeah. So what makes Skydio a good option for enterprise, even though it's $11,000 a piece. And of course, they've got all the extra features. They got all camera this. They got 5G that, all these other features to probably justify the cost. But that puts Skydio in a good position because any sort of enterprise If you're going to be law enforcement, if you're going to be anywhere near an airport, you know, you're going to need a U.S. made drone company in order to fulfill your needs. So that puts them in a good um, a good position, you know, and as a result, you know, just proof is in the pudding uh, that change going from consumer to enterprise boosted Skydio to a billion dollar valuation wow. again since military and law government enforcement contract exactly since government military law enforcement are now looking for US made options so i guess my overall i guess i just wanted to ask you know we've heard you know we talked about uber doing some sort of autonomous we've talked about amazon doing drone drop offs which i'm pretty sure is coming so then now you have a company like Skydio offering an enterprise drone for military, for first responders, just think of, you know, um, just for perfect example, right? Uh, you talked about in the pre-show about, you know, the 
your uh, storms that happened mm-hmm. over the week that kind of had people kind of panicked in Atlanta, in Georgia, surrounding areas about tornadoes. Right. Imagine if, you know, law enforcement or first responders can send a drone to actually take a geographical map mapping of the area that was hit by a tornado or down power lines or down trees or some flooded area to where you can't send a regular person in. You can send this drone in, take a top of a map of the area, get all the specs, figure out exactly what you need without even sending somebody down there. So all that to say, I just I just want to get your stance on whether or not you think drones or other unmanned aerial vehicles will be more present in our future. Definitely. I don't think drones are going anywhere. I think if anything, they're going to be expanded more, um, not just for consumer use, as we've seen with, you know, this Skydio. The fact that the U.S. government is probably the biggest, I guess, purveyor of money because it seems to be endless money. They can always print up new money if necessary. (laughs) And then when you think about the stealth and covert options, operations that they're trying to do, whether it's, you know, domestic or international. And the fact that this is a company that the U.S. can feel relatively safe, you know, using because Uh it is not a foreign based um, company. I think they've put themselves in a great position to be used because they're filling a gap in the market that isn't there. And quite frankly, I can very easily see Somebody like a Amazon snapping up this company right. and saying, you know yep. what? Yep. Why do we have to come up with our own drones to drop these packages? We can just buy these people because they're only a billion dollars. That's jump change. Right. Let's just buy them and in, in, in integrate them into our fleet. And then the government, you know, as much as the previous guy hated Amazon, you know, it's one of those things where we have supply and demand. We have the goods. You need them. Mm-hmm. We own them. So what you going to do? Right. Yep. Drop this money and keep it moving. Yep. That makes a good point to put them in a position where somebody will buy them up, you know, instead of starting from the ground up. Of course, Amazon probably could start from the ground up and become a competitor to Skydio, but they'd rather just scoop them up anyway. And like I mentioned, the fact that they have boosted them to about a billion dollar valuation, if they were to ever go public, if they ever were to get sold or to offer the, you know, entertain the idea of being bought, you know, that make, you know, the more money you're worth, the more valuable you become, you exactly. know, <laughs> so I, you, you definitely could see or see a Amazon competitor uh, getting them before Amazon does like a Walmart, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, or somebody even, with deep pockets, right? UPS, you know, we're talking about them, you know, in, in the future, you know, some of these other logistics, you know, shipping, you know, uh, some of these other companies, you know, looking to get into the drone game because, again, it's not going anywhere, you know, so, you know, might as well, you know, jump into one of these companies. So, yeah, definitely be interesting. All right. All right. Moving along to the last story for uh, the second string. Uh, Uber is has committed to had to offer a fully electric car by 2030. Uh, They're working with a British car manufacturer named Arrival. Uh, Uber and Arrival are inviting Uber drivers to help in the design process to ensure it delivers everything they need for ride hailing duties. Uh, the Arrival car is expected to go into production the third quarter of 2023. And the in the UK will use Arrival small vehicle platform. So basically what they're going to do is they're going to build 
micro factories in some of the major areas to where they'll be shipping some of these um, arrival cars in addition to their uh, bus and small vehicle platform. So this arrival company already makes electric cargo vans. They make electric, you know, um, uh, uh, cargo, cargo vans for moving people, moving equipment. You think of like, you know, your cable guy comes to your house. That's a cargo van. So, you know, Arrival already makes these all electric cargo vans for people like UPS. They've already got a deal to where UPS is ordering 10,000 uh, electric vehicle delivery vans from Arrival to be delivered by 2024. So I guess, you know, with your <laughs> new, you know, interest, your, your new skills, you know, your new you know, uh, uh, talent when it comes to autonomous and electric vehicles, you know, what does this say for Uber to have an electric vehicle by 2020, 2030 rather? So what I've gathered, I don't know if there was some big meeting with everybody and they decided 2030 was the year, <laughs> how they came up with that, but everybody seems to be on this 2030 way mm -hmm. saying, you know, we're going to have this by 2030. I don't know if it's because a major car company that I am aware of um, has said that they will be all, uh, the plan is to be zero emissions mm -hmm. by 2030, all electric by 2030. I don't know if other companies have kind of jumped on that wave to try and keep pace with that. But it appears as if 2030 is the year mm -hmm. that we're going to see electric vehicles from everybody. And this is from your big car dealerships domestically. I mean, GM, Ford, um, out, out to your, you know, your your international uh, car manufacturers, Toyota and you know, all of these mm -hmm. different car vendors. They're all and now Uber are now all on this 2030 wave. So I think what it says is that that's pretty much the the gold standard of being able to say that you have an electric vehicle. Because if you have these huge car companies saying they're going to be all electric by 2030, they're going to have to be able to compete on that level and say, we have our fleet is now all electric, all electric. just to stay competitive. Because one company decided it's 2030, everyone else is trying to like really follow suit. Mm -hmm. But um I think this is pretty much where everybody's trying to go. This is the hot thing mm -hmm. in um, in vehicles right now is first electric and then autonomous is is right behind it. Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to my new exploits in the autonomous space, it's you know, that's really what the drive is for. And in the new work that I'm doing, we're literally creating from scratch. Right. Because it hasn't been done before. Right. And, you know, that's really what I think they're trying to, to be on board with. And even I think when Apple did their announcement, they indicated they were trying to get to zero emissions by 2030 as well. So I just think people are being more conscious of the environment. And honestly, I don't even think it's necessarily consciousness of environment. I think it's just making sure that they stay on the competitive edge. Because if you have these other billion dollar fortune five companies, you know, saying that this is what they're going to do. Everyone is really having to step up to that same time frame. Right. Well, uh, what I think it is, the 2030 in particular, spread out those costs. <laughs> because mm -hmm. like you mentioned, 
you know, people got to build from the ground up. You know, they've got to figure out what really separates them from like a Tesla, you know, so they really have to to really put some thought and put some money behind this, because what companies are not going to do is take billion dollar losses in one or two years in order to get to zero emissions by 2025, right? Which mm-hmm. is just in four years, right? Or 2023. What in order to do that, and this is just me being a cynic, me being a skeptic, but knowing how businesses work, right? It's all about the dollar. Because they could, some of these companies could say, well, we're going to be, our whole fleet is going to be, you know, zero, you know, zero emissions or all mm-hmm. electric by 2024, you know, but that's going to take, billions of dollars in costs mm-hmm. in research in development and that's if they can get that done by then so they don't i don't i think they don't want to pin themselves in a corner so much but, to say we're going to mm-hmm. do it early especially when there's so many other people that have it 2030 because mm-hmm. like so we're pretty much on course with them right and then if something doesn't quite flesh out is not right. ready by 2030 you know they'll have some room to try and you know come up with their excuses or their rationale right. of what they're doing. But I believe they could do it. If if yeah. if a big company wanted to make their entire fleet all electric by 2025, they could do it. But the way costs work, the way uh stock market works, <laughs> the way we're coming off this pandemic works. Right, right. You know, that would take a lot of investments and up I don't front. think up front and I don't think uh companies the way they work, you know, credit versus debit and all this other revenue versus income. You know, I don't think companies companies would <laughs> melt down before they could do that. So 10 years what what nine years from now, mm-hmm. that's a, they, they can spread that out over the. It gives them, that gives them a decade. Right. Because when they say 2030, trust and believe this has been in the works, you know, before this 10 year phase. Mm-hmm. And I could say that for certain that this isn't just something they're coming up with, you know, and some arbitrary number. Trust and believe that there has been feasibility. There's been POCs on this. Mm -hmm. There's been all the things related to all the money kind of fleshed out worst case scenario, best case scenario to ensure that they hit these targets. Right. Right. All right. But yeah, the fact that Uber is committing to having a fully electric car to offer as part of their ride hailing fleet by 2030 means that, you know, similar to crypto, you know, similar to drones, you know, UAVs, you know, electric Mm -hmm. vehicles, autonomous vehicles is the wave of the future. So if you're looking for a place to invest, a place to put your money, you're looking for some some future technology to where you can start (laughs) start start with electric vehicles, start with drones, start with cryptocurrency. All right. All right. So that is it for second string. Uh, let's move on to for the culture. Um, this story is pretty interesting for me, you know, and for the culture, because, you know, um, there's a scientist who has decided to leave Google and has joined Apple. Well, you know, most of the reasons why people kind of switch from companies, they get better offer. They get, you know, to lead a particular management team or they get to, you know, work on their dream project. Uh, well, this particular scientist has decided to leave the artificial intelligence research department from Google uh, to join Apple because this uh, scientist, uh, his last name is Bingio. I've, uh, let me look at the story if I get his first name here. But he decided to leave a Google. Sammy. 
Yeah, Sammy Bingio uh, has decided to leave uh, ben- Bingio. I don't want. I hope I said this name right. But he's decided to leave app to leave Google to join Apple to um, to be an ally, for lack of a better term. Um, he, he expressed support for fellow scientists Mar- Margaret Mitchell mm-hmm. after alleging she transferred electric files out of the company, and Timnit Timnit Gibru. After we talked, she, about, her. We talked yeah. about her in previous shows after she threatened to quit rather than retract the paper in and both. Fired right. In both of those instances, you know, a minority or a black person or person of color had an issue with the race and diversity and inclusion of their particular company. In this case, Google she wrote about it, spoke out about it in both of those cases. Google had to own up to it. And say, yes, we're, you know, their whole PR statement that they make. But then they, they, um, they blame or they, you know, cast judgment or they, you know, speak out internally against the same people who raise the questions about diversity and inclusion in some of these companies. So being an ally, of course, I'm 100% sure that wasn't his total. A hundred percent reason as to why he left Google, but the fact that he publicly that's what he's claiming is the reason right publicly expressed support for those scientists that were targeted and let go and or fired because of those are scientists speaking out against Google's so-called racist um, equality, you know, and inclusion uh, practices. Right. Def- and they aren't just regular Google scientists. Right. These were the foremost leading experts mm-hmm. in AI at Google. Right. So you would think Google would prop them up. You would think Google would put them to the forefront. Google would at the very least use them to say, see, diversity and inclusion. No. You had a brown person. Right. And they're both women. Right. Nope. The, the, these women, the scientists brought up the issue Google had to own up to it and then they retaliated against these scientists so and it's still going on uh mm-hmm. timid is still I follow her on Twitter mm-hmm. she's still to this day being harassed yeah by the tech bros behind yeah. this. of course she is so yes yeah, so all that to say you know the reason why I brought it up because it's, it's a nice to see that an ally you know decided that they were going to do more than just tweet more than just Get on Facebook and, you know, you know, have this long, you know, speech about, you know, my best friend's black, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. they actually have a black person in my family. Right, right. I've worked with black people. It was a shame what happened to him. But yeah, you know, he one of my best friends is black. Right. He actually (laughs) decided to do something about it um, in part or majority reason why. But it was interesting to see that he actually decided to. leave one of these major companies, you know, possibly put his career in jeopardy. Now, of course he moved to Apple, which <laughs> that he, he, ain't, he ain't jeopardizing his coins for moving to Google to Apple. He got coins. Right. <laughs> you know, but at the uh, same time, you know, he, he'd been there for 14 years. I'm pretty sure he had a lot of cachet. Pretty sure he had a lot of say he was probably very comfortable, you know, for him to decide to 
make that change in support. Yeah, I just looked him up and uh, he was known for leading a large group of researchers working in machine learning, mm -hmm. including adversarial settings. So mm -hmm. yep. he was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, he was a big deal. So, you know, it's safe to say Google has uh, lost out on a valuable asset to yeah, a competitor, <laughs> right, to a competitor, yeah. you know, because of internal, you know, uh, racial, racism. you know, racism, equality, in inclusivity, you know, some of those concerns. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, if if other people you know, you, you know, maybe not leave the company, but maybe start to speak out in solidarity versus doing the, you know, direct message or the, you know, uh, the secret, you know, support of some of these people, you know, who are in the, you know, in the battle, you know, with some of these companies as it relates to diversity inclusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the timing of this is very interesting as well. Along, um, we talked about it last week at base camp, all that hubbub, it's still going on. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't remember if we mentioned it or not, but they were offering buyouts to anybody who didn't feel comfortable working at the company anymore. And a third of those people that work at the work, worked at base camp took a oh, buyout wow. Wow. and left. So it's a smaller company. I think they only have maybe 50 or 60 employees. Mm -hmm. They lost about 20. Right. And the people they lost were heads of groups. Mm -hmm. um, so they they lost a, a lot of people because they just didn't feel comfortable right. with what was going on. There were, I read an article where they talked about there was an all hands meeting after all this happened and um, a black employee, you know, quit on the spot because of the conversation that was being had on the call. One of the co-founders was like, oh, I'm in bed. I'm sick. He introduced, he said, hey, or whatever, then turned off his mic and turned off his camera and left the other co-founder to pretty much take all of the questions from the, wow. from the employees. And wow. one of the big things that came up with that was one of, I think it was the head of strategy. He said that he didn't think that white supremacy was, essentially a thing. And I'm paraphrasing here. And when a black person came on and was like, yeah, it, you know, it is a thing. How can you say that? He doubled down several times. Mm -hmm. And so they eventually ended up um, putting him on suspicion on suspension, pending a, a internal probe. Um, and I think the guy ultimately decided to resign, but this is after the heads, I think it was Jason Freed mm -hmm. and, DHH, I don't know what. I think what it's the, right. right. So even after they doubled down on the policy several times after that, they just now, I think it was today, came out and was like, well, you know, we handled it wrong. We shouldn't have went about it that way. But they were still saying we said what we said. Right. Sorry that you're leaving. Um, but people decide to stay, so we're gonna we're gonna work with them. Hey, customers, don't you know cancel us because we still you know need your money, but the policies still stay in place, right? And they are moving forward with them, and they were happy and fine with twenty per thirty percent of a third of their workforce saying, "Nah, this isn't for me." Right. So it's just one of those things that goes to show, you know, whether these folks left in. Um, in allyship 
whether they, because I think some of them were, Mm -hmm. some of the people who left because they are black and brown people and saw that this company didn't really support or care for them. Or just didn't care in general. You know, it it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, what can we do for the black people? Right. Right. It could be just something as simple as we care in general and we're not going to be a company that all we care about is line items on an Excel spreadsheet. You know, when it comes to speaking out, speaking up for and supporting the people that work for us, because that's what a lot of people who work in corporate now, you know, are starting to come to the realization, especially in the midst of all of this racial justice. You know, this racial justice could just be for a lot of people. It, well, it could just be the the, the tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. But they've and that's always what they said. That's what several people said, right? In the meeting, is that that meeting and that conversation solidified for them? They had to quit. Right. It was like for people who were, it appeared that they were still going to stay on the company. But after they had heard that two hour conversation, they were like, yo, this is not for me. I got to bounce. And right. they did. Right. And it, it could just be, you know, like say the whole, you know, in the midst of George Floyd, Floyd and, you know, the, the, you know, all that stuff is going on. That could have just been the tipping point for a lot of people to come to a realization that these corporations are not out for the not out for the people who make their right they are it's about revenue it's about profits and anything that 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 um tests that anything that jeopardizes that Mm -hmm. these companies are going to choose themselves the entity every single time over the people right and i think people are just finally kind of coming to that realization yeah and you know it you know it just at the time, it's racial diversity and inclusion. It could be pay for whatever reason. Could you know? It could have been me it too could be movement. Disability. It could be disability. It, it could, could be it, anything. Right. They see that these folks are about the bottom line dollar. And mm-hmm. in the case of um, you know Basecamp, the founders, you can't get rid of them. One, there's no board. Two, is their company, so they can honestly to their detriment or not, make unilateral decisions and you as an employee can either choose to stay and deal with it or roll and be like, this isn't for me. And I think at the end of the day, especially if you think about it in terms of COVID, the folks that are still having to go into work and people are like, look, this is about, we need you to come in. If you're not going to come in, then we can let you go. Right. It's just showing that at the end of the day, the dollar rules and you're being devoted to this company and giving it your all and doing all these things. And then they turn around and give you their butt to kiss because it's like, yeah, we can take it or leave it. Yep. And people are starting to leave it. Right. So that goes with this, this scientist, uh, Bengio at Google deciding to leave to join Apple. Like you mentioned, it goes with a lot of these company, these employees at Basecamp who decided to leave, you know, uh, these companies are really, you know, going to have to reckon with the idea of, you know, what kind of company are we really, you know, mm-hmm. and make it known, you know, all of these, uh, uh, these press release, these social media press releases is not cutting it, you know, as well as they thought it was because people are asking for, okay, well, that's just words. What are you actually doing? And again, like I mentioned, these companies, you know, revenue and costs 
and, you know, prophets, you know, actually attacking an issue like uh, diversity and inclusion in a corporation is going to take millions of dollars to uh, to reinvest in how their policies, how they're hiring, how they're uh, reviewing, you know, all of these policies and companies really don't want to spend that major cost in that short amount of time. You know, now if they can spread it out over 50 years, but I mean, that's incremental change is not going to get anywhere when people are asking for change now. So they're like, right. okay, well, do we invest $500 million in this? And we got to write that on our balance sheet. That's going to make a negative hit on our rev revenue because a lot of these companies are in debt so much to where they any don't little have emergency hit- savings. Egg, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't got no emergency <laughs> savings fund, right? <laughs> they ain't got no rating day fund, right? So nope. that's going to take a hit. So a lot of these companies are trying to figure out how to weasel their way around it when weaseling your way around the issue is not going to change the issue. It's not going to stop the issue. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. So that is it for the culture. Uh, Definitely move into uh, the hookup. Uh, So one of the cool things that I saw, you know, with iOS 14.5 and 14.5.1 was they made some improvements to AirPods um, specifically to where when you connect your watch to your Bluetooth headset like AirPods or AirPod Max or AirPods Pro, any Apple related device, they've improved the connectivity, you know, iOS 14.5, uh, before that, rather, a lot of people were having issues with the switching. If I've got a MacBook and I've got an iPad and I've got an iPhone, you know, the switching went on my headphones, you know, the Apple versions, they've made that a lot smoother. Well, one of the things that you can do if you don't have an Apple branded Bluetooth speaker, or Bluetooth AirPods, like if you have Bose, or if you have uh, Bang & Olufsen, if you have Sennheiser, some of these other non-Apple branded Bluetooth devices that you connect with your Apple Watch, well, there's a tip to where you can identify or classify the type of speaker that you're connecting to your watch for improved audio notifications and for headphone audio level measurements that would be more accurate. But what you have to do is you have to classify that device on your Apple Watch. So basically what you do is from your Apple Watch screen, you go to the settings app on your Apple Watch screen, you tap Bluetooth, and then you go next to the device that's already paired to your Apple Watch. So you got to make sure your Bose headphones or your uh, Bluetooth speakers are already paired with your Apple Watch. Uh, locate that device. You click the eye, the little blue eye next in the circle next to that device. You tap the device type and you get an option. All the device types are you can choose between headphones. You can choose between a hearing aid. You can choose between a speaker or you can choose between other. Selecting that classification will give you better audio notifications and better audio level measurements. So that's my tip for the week. If you use a non Apple speaker, Bluetooth headphone device with your Apple watch, you want to make sure you classify that correctly in your Apple watch to get better audio quality. Nice. So that is my tip for the week. And Nika, if you don't have anything else, I think that's going to 
end the show for the week. Uh, as usual, definitely, we definitely appreciate your support. Uh, one of the ways you can support us is if you download, rate, and review the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, and we're on Spotify. Another way, if you can just typically engage with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we're at SnobOSCast. Uh, definitely, you can watch us on YouTube. We're at SnobOSCast. And of course, if you watch us on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notifications bell, and make us look good with YouTube. Uh, also, you can leave comments and suggestions. You can do so by going to our website. We're at SnobOSCast.com. Or you can shoot us an email. We're at SnobOSCast at gmail.com. Another way is to support the show financially. You can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $5 a month. You'll get access to our pre-show. You'll get access to the show live. So you get it a couple days earlier and you get access to our community. Definitely. We want to thank all of our Patreon supporters who are watching this live and getting it two days early. than you actually get the show. Um, you can also support us. Uh, give us a love offering via PayPal. You can find us by going to paypal.me forward slash snob os and you can give us a little you know a little one dollar a little 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 praise you know a little seasoning uh, yeah give, give us a little something you know <laughs> we definitely appreciate it, everything we appreciate it all so like i said other than that we are done for this week until next week uh we are out peace Bye.